Well, if you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5. Today we're continuing our study of the Beatitudes by talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word and as it is preached, Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people. We know that the scriptures are alive and active. We know this is the living word. Father, would you use it this morning for our good and your glory? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets." Who were before you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Today we're given a picture of spiritual famishment. And the question is what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I'm going to argue two things. There are two sides of this coin. Uh, The first is a desperate desire to be free of sin. And the second is a desperate desire to gain the righteousness of Christ. So these are the two sides, Uh, both desperate desires, one of them to be free of sin and the other to gain the righteousness of Christ. And you can see this building. When you go back and look at the previous Beatitudes that we've seen so far, I mean, just remember that the believer is spiritually impoverished because of their sin. The believer mourns the existence of this sin, the, the effect of sin in themselves and others and in the world. And then this presence of sin in themselves causes them not to trust themselves, but instead, as we saw in Psalm 37, to trust and wait on the Lord. Therefore, 
They long to be rid of that sin and to possess the righteousness of Christ. That's the character of the believer. Lord, I am sick and tired of sin. Take it away. Let me be rid of it forever. And in its place, fill me with the righteousness of your Son. This is the logical progression of the Beatitudes. Seeing the presence and power of sin, we who love the Lord Jesus desperately long to be rid of it and to mirror him. It's not simply enough that we feel conviction because of our sin, or it's not enough that we're simply ashamed of it. It would be inadequate to even stop at mourning our sin and the sin of others. Anyone can do that. We must also hunger and thirst after righteousness. Sinclair Ferguson remarked on this in a sermon on this beatitude. He said, It is not sufficient to simply drive men and women to discover themselves. Conviction of sin is not conversion to God. Shame for sin is not necessarily that gracious turning to the Heavenly Father who welcomes sinners. We must additionally hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sure, we've seen this before. Shame over sin, regret over sin, conviction over sin, but never a turning to God. A knowledge of sin, but never a hungering after righteousness. You know, I used this word desperate to define this longing, and I do so intentionally. I don't believe the Lord Jesus is talking about those who just need an afternoon snack between lunch and supper. The description is closer to one of starvation and dehydration. Hey, think of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. That's the picture here. You can look at a map and see to the southeast of Jerusalem, there's a a large body of water called the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea due to the extremely high level of salt in the water. There are no fish that live. It's actually a lake. But there are no fish that live in this lake. Um, I think the only living things are bacteria and microorganisms. And it's just because of, the, it's just too salty. And I, I found an Israel travel website, and there was this warning for visiting the Dead Sea. And it said, When swimming in the Dead Sea, there are a few things you should know for your own safety. Number one, do not drink the water. A few gulps of it could cause irreversible damage or even kill you. Number two, 
Do not get the water in your eyes, as it will burn. Number three, wear sandals, as the salt might be sharp and cut you. Number four, silver jewelry will turn black. The same goes for gold jewelry, unless it is 24 carats or more. All that comes from taking a dip in the Dead Sea. And I could imagine if I was stranded by the shore of a lake like that, there's this massive body of water in front of me, but I can't drink any of it because if I do, it will kill me. So instead, I've got to run up into the hills looking for a source of fresh, cool water. That's a picture of the Christian hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Despising our sin, those things right in front of us that are so easy, that appear so harmless and desirable, but in time will harm and kill us. We desperately wish to be rid of it and long for streams of living water. Why do we want to be rid of it? Well, first reason is because sin separates us from God. The prophet Isaiah talks about this in chapter 59. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's what sin does. It causes separation between us and God. His face is hidden from us. He does not hear us. This is the opposite of Aaron's blessing that we see in Numbers 6. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Sin does the opposite. It causes separation between us and God so that his face is hidden and he does not hear. It's devastating. And that alone should call us, call, cause us to cry out, let me be rid of it forever. We wish to be free from sin because it separates us from God. We also wish to be free from its desire. We think about our first parents in Eden. Scripture tells us that when Eve saw the fruit, it was a delight to the eyes. And she saw it and desired it. It's the same with us. Our sin appeals to our very nature. We like it. We want it. And so we say, Lord, take it away. Let me be rid of it. The third reason is that we want to be free from the pollution of sin. If you're on Shiloh Road and you turn onto Oak Lane, eventually 
you'll get to a wooded area. The road magically becomes Snake Road. And then there's a sharp 90-degree turn. And in that turn, there's a small stream or creek, whatever you want to call it, drainage ditch, that runs through, and my girls love it. They call it the big water. So we'll walk down there, and we'll throw rocks into the big water, and they'll climb down and hop around on the rocks in the creek. Well, one day, we went down to the big water, and we discovered someone had dumped an old toilet into the middle of the stream. This gross, old, discovered, uh, discolored porcelain toilet was sitting there broken in the water. The big water had been polluted. My question is, spiritually speaking, how often do those toilets appear in your own life to remind you of the pollution of sin? Maybe you wake up from sleep grieved and ashamed of a dream you just had. Grieved that such a polluted thought could enter your mind. Or maybe it happens when you're awake. A random thought crosses your mind and you think, Lord, where did that come from? Why would such a thought even be able to enter my mind? Or maybe it's a slip of the tongue or something we do instinctually or without thinking about it. And we're reminded of the pollution of sin and we want to be rid of it. We desire to be near and enjoy pristine living water and to be rid of the nastiness of sin. Let's talk about that living water. The Lord Jesus said in John 7, 37, that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Here's the flip side of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We want to be rid of sin and we want to be like Christ. To quote DC Talk, I think the first concert I ever went to at the Bancorp South Arena in 1999 I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Oh, Lord, be my light and be my salvation. Because all I want is to be in the light. That's what we're hungering for. To not walk in darkness. To have fellowship with God. To be cleansed from all our sin. To be able to live out these words that... We've been reading every week in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 to live out the Beatitudes, to bear the fruits of the Spirit. Our brothers and sisters can look at us and say, Brother, I'd see love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We long to bear those. We want to more closely mirror our Lord. We're struck by the thought, if I'm going to spend eternity with Him, then we should have something in common. Therefore, I want to love the things He loves and hate the things He hates. 
I want his interests to be my interests. His joys to be my joys. I want my character to more closely reflect his character. I mean, here's just a question to ask. Would, if, if, if we go to heaven, would we be happy to even be there? J.C. Ryle addresses this in his book, Holiness. He says, quote, Suppose for a moment that you were allowed to enter heaven without holiness. What would you do? What possible enjoyment could you feel there? To which of all the saints would you join yourself? And by whose side would you sit? Their pleasures are not your pleasures. Their tastes are not your tastes. Their character, not your character. How could you possibly be happy if you had not been holy on earth? End quote. That's what we long for. To be rid of sin. To possess the righteousness of Christ. To be holy To be like the man who we see in the four Gospels. And not because of some self-centered, self-interested motivation where we're attempting to just save our skin so that we go to heaven. No. Like a younger brother might look at his older brother and think the world of him. And love him. And emulate him. So the believer looks to his older brother, Jesus Christ. The truth is that everyone is hungering for something. What do most people hunger for? Happiness? Blessedness? They, they get the words of this beatitude mixed up. They take the first word, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, they take it and cut it and move it to the end. Those who hunger and thirst for blessedness, that's what most people do. And they never find it. And thus the world is the way it is. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary noted that happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It is always something that results from seeking something else. You think about that. Happiness should never be sought directly. It is something that results from seeking something else. If you try to find happiness, if you simply hunger and thirst for happiness, you will not find it. But the Lord Jesus tells us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. They are blessed. Desperately desiring to know God and to be more like the Lord Jesus, to live for His glory and His honor, and to be rid of every manifestation and effect of sin, that will produce happiness. We will find happiness. What's the promise the Lord makes At the end, the promise for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we read, they shall be satisfied. Maybe you're more familiar with the King James Version. You might have memorized it as a kid. Remember, it says, they shall be filled. Hunger satiated. 
thirst quenched. Refreshing and life and fullness and nourishment found. I love the example of the prodigal son. You have the son who is so hungry, he is drooling over pig slop. And his stomach is growling and turning as he's watching these pigs eat. And then he comes to his senses. And he says, my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And what happened? His father saw him from a long way off, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, kissed him, put a robe on his shoulders, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and threw a feast to celebrate. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. How how are we filled? I'm going to say there's an immediate filling There's a continual filling and there is an ultimate filling. There's the immediate filling. When a person is confronted with their spiritual poverty and they cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation, there is an immediate filling. The theological term would be justification. You think about the thief on the cross, he trusted Christ and was saved. He confessed that there was nothing good in him and that Jesus was the Christ. And what did the Lord say in return? Today, you will be with me in paradise. An immediate filling. God the Father credits your sin to his Son, credits his Son's righteousness to you, declares you not guilty and adopted into his family. That is something that happens immediately. As John Newton wrote, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. There is an immediate filling to this hungering and thirsting. Sin dealt with. The believer clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But there's also a continual filling. You'll notice the Christian does not stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This this, uh, this satiation, uh, this fullness, doesn't doesn't last for the rest of our lives. We receive Christ. We trust Him. We know we're forgiven. We know we have peace with God, but there is still sin That remains. And thus there is still the desire to be rid of it and to more fully possess and to be lost in the righteousness of Christ. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. By God's grace, we are renewed in our whole person after the image of God. And we're enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Day after day, this is what we thirst and hunger after. And there's a promise. You will be satisfied. 
There's the immediate filling, the continual filling, and then there's the ultimate final satisfaction. The promise that one day the work will be ultimately complete. The redeemed will stand before the throne of God in his presence, before his face, and they will be found faultless, blameless, without any spot or wrinkle or blemish. There the redeemed will forever and eternally be freed from the presence and pollution and power and desire of sin. And will dwell in perfect peace with the Lord in a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our our larger catechism, number 86, tells us that immediately following a believer's death, their souls are made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory awaiting the full redemption of their bodies. There is the final, ultimate satisfaction. There is what William Cooper was pondering when he wrote the words, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Dear Christian, that day is coming. That day when we will finally be able to never sin again. That day when we will truly, in every sense, be rid of every manifestation of sin, every effect of sin, and will fully know the righteousness of Christ. Four quick thoughts to end with. Practically speaking, we need to ask ourselves, am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness or am I content with my own? The Apostle Paul said that no good thing dwelt within him. He described his righteous deeds, his credentials, as dung, In Isaiah, we see our good deeds described as filthy rags. Is that how we see our own righteousness? Are we desperately hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of another, namely Christ? Or are we content with our own righteousness? Do we believe our goodness will be enough? And our morality will be enough. And our faithfulness will be enough to earn our peace with God. Is there self-righteousness we're clinging to? We've talked about the danger of that in past weeks. But again, are we hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of another? Or are we content with our own? It's a question we need to ask. Something else. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness will cause you 
to avoid anything and everything that is opposed to the righteousness of God. We've recently experienced this way more than we wanted in the previous two years with COVID. Someone tested positive and showed up at work. Say, no, get out of here, go home. You got to quarantine for 10 days. We don't want them here. Just, just go, go home, stay away. If, if, if someone is sick, we, we don't want to go to their house. We're going to avoid it. The believer will avoid those things that are opposed to the righteousness of God. We, not, we, we, we may not be able to produce our own saving righteousness, but we can certainly flee those things that God hates. We cannot will ourselves to be just like Jesus. But we can stay out of places and situations that would be offensive to him. What would this look like? Maybe there are people, things, locations, entertainments that you are in close orbit constantly with which are opposed to the righteousness of Christ. Truly believe those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will avoid such things. On a lighter but still important note, what about the things that ruin your spiritual appetite? You know, these might be good things, acceptable things, legitimate things, but they cause us to hunger for God less. You know, in the same way, I can come home from the office and have a decent-sized snack at 5 p.m., and it might spoil my appetite for dinner at 6. There are things that we can spend maybe too much time with. Good things that may spoil our spiritual appetite and cause us to hunger less after righteousness. If you feel your appetite is lessened, look for such things. And then finally, get in the way of filling. You remember the story of blind Bartimaeus? The beggar in Jericho, he heard Jesus was passing through town. He couldn't heal himself. He couldn't see. He found his way to the edge of the road and he listened and listened and listened. And suddenly he heard people saying that Jesus of Nazareth was coming near. And he began to cry out, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And those around him started to rebuke him and said, Shut up, be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Lord stopped and called Bartimaeus to himself and healed him. You and I cannot produce this righteousness. 
in the same way that our food cannot produce our own food and our own water. But we can go to the kitchen. We can go to the well and be satisfied. And like Bartimaeus, we can sit on the side of the road blind and helpless and wait for the Lord to pass by. Wait for him to do the impossible. Just as we avoid those things in life that are opposed to his righteousness, we should try conversely to find the people and places where this righteousness is found. And to sit down in those places and to plead for the Lord to satisfy our deepest longings. He has promised he'll do so. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'll end with these words from the mouth of our Lord found in the next chapter. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you make us a people that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. A people that long to be rid of sin and to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. Father, we long to be in the light and before your face, to have your ear uh, to, to have you turn, turn toward us and bless us. Father, would you stoke within us this hunger? Would you produce within us this desperate need for the perfection of another? Would we flee to the Savior knowing that there is no one else who will do. Father, help us as we think through our lives and our schedules and our days. Would they reflect more and more of this hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Like Bartimaeus, would we place ourselves in areas where we can sit and wait and cry out for your blessing? Father, we don't simply ask this for ourselves. We ask it for our neighbors, our families, for your church. Because, Father, what this world needs more of are men and women and boys and girls who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Would you bring it about by your good pleasure and your power? We ask in Jesus' name.